Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. A couple of days after Oklahoma falls to Florida State, 35-32 in the Cheese It Bowl. Lee Benson joined, as always, by Grant Benson. I am in Oklahoma City. Grant, as always, is in Minneapolis. We each watch the game from the comfort of our own couches, even though I guess the weather was beautiful in Orlando, it looked like on TV. And Grant, as I bring you in for the first time today, I must say, even though bowl season has gotten somewhat diluted, there's a million games, it seems like a lot of these games are not important, the scene in Orlando Thursday evening on television looked pretty good. Like a lot of people were at the game, mostly Florida State fans, but I got to say the atmosphere from a TV perspective, to me, looked pretty good. Yes, totally agree with that. Looks like... Uh you know, in person there, it looked like it was kind of an important game. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't know what we'll have to hear kind of what people uh, said who are actually there. But it, lo- it looked like essentially a road game for OU. Yeah, that's and that's kind of what we expected, right? I was seeing tweets from a couple of my former colleagues on the ground before the game estimating that the crowd was somewhere like 75, 25 or even 80, 20 Florida State, which I mean, the game's in Florida. That's not surprising. I did see a let's see I saw a tweet from like somebody affiliated with Oklahoma referencing like ah oh, man that uh, I think it was either I, can't, I think it was a fan or I don't know maybe it was somebody on the coaching staff I, I'm not sure saying something like oh man that was like a road game for Oklahoma and I saw that I think an assistant coach for Florida State softball either retweeted it or replied saying oh yeah well I can relate to that obviously referencing when Oklahoma uh, has basically a home field advantage in the Women's College World Series. So uh, a little bit of a different, little bit different setting, stakes but, there. Yeah. A little bit different stakes there for, a, uh, <laughs> yeah. for the Cheez-It Bowl. Right. You got to say, though, I mean, good on Cheez-It for making the, the ridiculous-sounding snack cracker, which is delicious, by the way, extra toasty, uh, make it seem like a somewhat decently big-ish bowl game with all of the production value, the fans showed up, and it's nothing better than the, uh, the Cheez-It trophy uh, with just a bunch of snacks inside. So, anyways, who well, cares? I think they also had. They're like I, I remember last year too because that was the the Cheez-It Bowl last year was the lead-in to OU's bowl game last year too, and and it was uh it was Iowa State and Clemson last year, and so they've been lucky. They've had they've had two straight games with relatively large fan bases on both, and and fan bases that travel as well. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you if you get the right teams, that can absolutely be kind of a marquee type matchup. When you're watching it on TV, it feels like a big game, and that, that that was definitely the case on Thursday night, which I I thought was was a nice, pleasant surprise. It was it was good while watching the game live that I I very rarely thought that oh god this is the Cheese It Bowl because it just kind of felt like a regular <laughs> big college football game, and it was a game which OU should have won, and even though the Sooners were nine and a half ten point underdog, I gotta say our preview of it, you know whatever that was, a few days before the game. You know, you were pretty steadfast that the line, I mean, even with the opt-out, should have been a lot closer to like three or whatever or whatever you're saying. Or maybe even before the opt-out, you thought it should have been like more of a pick And I think the way the game played out, you looked like you were pretty much correct about that. I pushed back. Um, I, you know, I, I was thinking maybe FSU should have been like a three-point favorite, maybe all the way up to six. But, man, nine and a half, ten, that seemed like a lot of points. And you and I weren't really in the – in like the the idea or the thought of like man oh he's going to get run in this game uh, I mean certainly it could have happened depending on the way they showed up but uh, you know I think you mentioned man 
Uh, in previous episodes, Oklahoma seemingly, when it comes to the start of games, it seems like they're always pretty prepared and looks like they're ready to go. And we were talking, at least briefly on the last podcast, that, hey, you know, maybe if you're a, a bit of a sports better, maybe look to Oklahoma first half and go from there. And sure enough, if you would have taken that, that advice, you would have cashed out pretty easily because OU not only covered in the first half, they won the first half straight up. And then after halftime uh, and in parts of the second quarter, that's when things started to snowball. And it, you know what, Grant? It's, it's kind of a cliche at this point, looking at uh, OU beat media, you know, social media, fans. But that game, it played out pretty similarly to a lot of the other losses this year for Oklahoma. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, first, you know, I, I want to just kind of touch on what you said, you know, a couple of minutes ago about how we sort of pegged this pretty well. So I, I thought going into this game, it was my feeling that there was a couple of things going on. One, because of their record and because they had won five in a row, people were, were definitely overrating Florida State a little bit coming into this game. Um, whereas I was more looking at the data and everything and realized that, ah, you know, the team, they, they had blown out four kind of bad teams in a row. And then they played a team with a pulse against Florida in the last week. And they, I mean, they weren't a slugfest the entire time. That was really close. Another thing that we didn't point out, Lee, Florida was, was missing five of their top six receivers going into that game against Florida State in the last week of the season and was still able to land a bunch of haymakers, big plays on them. Um, and I just, I, I kind of figured that OU with a month to prepare, would probably be able to do the same against them as well, even with a patchwork offensive line. Um, and also because of their record, and this is something I know a lot of OU fans don't, you know, don't want to hear because, I mean, they just went 6-7, and seven and that's not, that's not acceptable. None of us like that. Uh, but because of their record, a lot of people have underrated OU this year as well. They are, they are a 6-7 and seven team because they have not been able to put things together in games, late in games when they need to the most. But in terms of how good they are, what their ceiling is, what they are capable of, they can pretty much play with everyone in the country that's not in the top six or seven in the country. And I'd agree with that. I mean, you look at Oklahoma's last three losses, and by the way, all three of them, Oklahoma was leading at halftime. They were leading West Virginia, they were leading Texas Tech, and they were leading Florida State. All three of those games, Grant, Oklahoma ends up losing by a field goal. The last three games were all lost by a combined nine points. In fact, the last four games, all lost by a field goal. That's, that's actually, I mean, it's not surprising because we've, we've watched all of them. But now that I'm bringing it up here on the podcast, I, I mean, that's, that's four losses that, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a cliche, kind of a low-com denominator take, a simpleton take. But I think it's true. When you lose by a field goal, that's a, a go-either-way game, and the last four losses for Oklahoma all could have very easily been wins. And if that's the case, Oklahoma was looking at what a, a, a 10 win season, 10 and three granted. That's not the way things work, but that to your point, I guess is what I'm trying to say is that yes, Oklahoma finished the year six and seven and it's unacceptable. Uh, you and I are, have, have grown a little bit more skeptical of Brent Venables as the season's drawn on, but they're not as bad as six and seven because considering how close uh, you know, the last half of the year. I mean, the, the two blowout losses were kind of anomalies because Dylan Gabriel, for the most part, wasn't involved. Yeah, I mean, it, so, all, it, yeah. it all depends on how you want to look at it, obviously. You know, I, not all seasons are created equal. Um, you know, things, circumstances change, outside variables change. And really, I mean, there, there's kind of two games this year that you can toss out, the TCU and the Texas game where 
where Dylan Gabriel only played, you know, one quarter of those eight quarters of those games. And other than that, OU has been right there, basically right there at the end with every good team they've played this season. Um, and that's like, we. this is Oklahoma. We don't like that. They should be ahead of these teams. They should be a step ahead, two steps ahead of these teams. They should be winning the Big 12. I agree with all of that. But it kind of, it's just, it's all about how you want to look at it. Do you want to be, do you kind of want to take a hard line stance on it? Or do you want to choose to look at kind of little glimmers of light there to say, hey, maybe they're not as bad as we fear they are. Maybe it really is just a couple of tweaks here, a couple of tweaks here. And hey, there are plenty of things that have popped up this season that are concerning, that have been too consistent, right? The fact that they have lost these last four games all in very similar fashion without any sort of, you know, kind of change down the stretch of games, that's concerning, obviously. You hope that that's not something that just continues because it's built into their DNA or it's just something that Venables and his staff just can't figure out. You hope that's not the case. But going into this game, I thought, you know, there was a lot of people saying... OU has, you know, it's 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 legit that OU is a double-digit underdog going into this game or should be a double-digit underdog. They have they have so many opt-outs. They are they're so depleted on their roster. And I, you know, I thought that was a little over the top to be totally honest with you. Now, I didn't expect Chris Murray to not play in this game. I didn't expect them to essentially have five new starters in the offensive line because McCade Mattier was playing out of position at right guard. And so but also at the same time, doesn't it like give you a little bit of hope, give you a little bit of, oh, maybe maybe these things aren't as bad as, as we say they are because OU basically had all of their backups in. They had a mash unit on the offensive line, and they're pretty much every bit as good as Florida State's number one unit. Doesn't that tell us that OU's got a little bit more depth, maybe a little bit better players than we've given them credit for over the course of this season? Maybe? Well, we've always been, I think you've been uh, a big proponent of Oklahoma's offensive line all season long. And, yeah, and that's that's the, another thing, too, because they're the starters. Like, yeah, yeah I, the fan base needs to understand what a good and bad offensive line looks like at the college level. I Oklahoma, period, has been very good on the offensive line for about eight or nine consecutive seasons, period. And see, and, and this is where and I've said it a million times on the show, like offensive line play and X's and O's. I'm just not an expert on. When I watch Oklahoma over all these years, the offensive line to me always looks fine to, to sometimes, you know, 2017, 2018 to elite where like, man, there's a lot of time to throw a lot of different snaps. Uh, like I've never really thought like at any time this season, at, at, you know, a game ends like, man, the offensive line looked terrible. Like I, that's just not the way my, my brain works. I'm not wired that way unless you're just seeing sacks left and right. There's like 19 sacks and, you know, it, the quarterback has like no time to throw and. I, I just that doesn't really happen very often with Oklahoma and I know Dylan Gabriel did get sacked a decent amount of times in that game against Florida State but they, they weren't traditional he dropped back he's sitting back there and nope he just gets sacked it seemed like he was rolling out and Florida State had it defended well uh, things like that you know he was rolling out he got rushed fell on his butt tried to throw it away ended up getting a sack you know uh, heck he got sacked one play before he threw a touchdown pass to Jalil Farouk that seemed like just a nice a nice pass rush by Florida State. No, it was so, yeah, a, I, that was a play that was a play where OU had a quick hitter called where they were trying to simulate their kind of split zone action. They were trying to get uh, they were trying to get Braden Willis just on a play action in the flat. And like I said, Florida State scouted that play really well and they eliminated it every single time that OU tried it, and it resulted in like three or four sacks. Yeah, and you were talking to me about that before we started the show, and that's yeah, that's that's a that's a good catch by you. 
So let's, and we're kind of talking more philosophically about everything. At the end of the show, I'm sure maybe some three word reviews will get us into maybe big picture stuff, but let's talk about the game as a whole. And uh, I mean, I want to start with, let's start from the beginning and then just see where it takes us. My first thought on the opening drive of the game, Florida State gets the football and they're moving the ball. It's kind of, might seem kind of random, but we're going to go from the very, very beginning. The last third down play, CJ Colton's got to pick that ball off in the end zone. That's got to be a takeaway. No points on the board for Florida State. Uh, Oklahoma gets out of there. No point. I mean, it's a small thing, but just when you lose by three points, I watched that back, and I don't know how he didn't catch that ball. It was a weird play. I don't know what the coverage was, but anyways, that's where I want to jump things off. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that at all, but that's my first thought. I think C.J. Colton should have had an interception on you that are first so series for Florida State. You're so predictable. Am yeah, I? I, I, well, yeah, when I was watching that back this morning, I knew that that was going to be one of the first things that you brought up. I mean, is, am I wrong? It would have been a really great play if he would have done it. But yeah, I Not mean, really? that's, I mean, I mean Lee, guy- this is, we, I feel like we've had this conversation numerous times this year. That's the difference between an excellent college football player and an okay to pretty good college football player. So the difference in this one, though, is the way Jordan Travis threw the football. He threw a little lollipop in there. It was an easy ball to catch. There, there wasn't much velocity on it. And he, uh, C.J. Colton was undercutting it. And I don't know if he was baiting the throw or what, because it seemed like there was nobody back there covering that receiver. And I don't know what his job was on that play. Uh, if he was supposed to have the deep third or what, or if it was man, I don't know. But uh, they're lucky that Jordan Travis lollipopped it over there, because if not, that's a touchdown. And the fact that Jordan Travis underthrew it and threw it really slowly, that's another reason why that ball should have been picked off. It was just awkward play. Uh, it's a missed opportunity. They get off the field without a touchdown, so that's good. But, uh, you know. C.J. Colton, you got to make that play, man. You're a veteran player. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so we can I, move on. I mean, that's a silly. I, I guess, yeah. I guess that just that didn't stand out to me as maybe like one of as like maybe one of the top twenty most remarkable plays in the game. But <laughs> well, let me, I mean, I, I start watching the game back. I start. It was taking a, it notes, was an important play. I mean, they they got notes. inside the five yeah. yard line and they didn't score a touchdown. I mean, I that's that's my takeaway from that series. I did see Clemson defensive backs against. Tennessee last night drop a couple of interceptions as well so I guess other teams drop picks too so uh so anyways yeah so that was my first thought but hey you got to give credit to Oklahoma though the offense very good first drive right Oklahoma gets the football drives down the field Dylan Gabriel for the most part outside of one throw was terrific on the opening drive and they go score a touchdown go up seven to three yeah, I mean, uh, that, very, yeah. and uh, did a lot of it on the ground as well. His feet on the ground, and I that was one of the things that I noticed in um, in the rewatch when OU wasn't being sacked behind the line of scrimmage on on drawn up plays that Florida State scouted really well. Um, they were they were definitely really struggling to contain Dylan Gabriel in the pocket. He was breaking contain quite a bit, and uh, man, I there's you just I. What can you do except just give him credit? I mean, there are there are times where Dylan Gabriel is slippery enough, and he does a really good job of getting upfield quickly. And uh, he did that in the first he did that in the first half quite a bit quite a bit in this game actually. Yeah, I mean the guy he's he's not unathletic. Uh, you know, you've said he's limited. I I agree. I think he is limited, but whenever he kind of does have room to run, he can move a little bit. And we saw it mostly early on in the season. I remember back to the I feel like the K State game. There was a couple of snaps where he got and got out and moving and, and running in the, into the secondary. There was the one play against Florida State in the second quarter, I believe. I mean, he, had uh, 60, where he, he had like a 60-yard touchdown run against Nebraska, too. He can, 
Oh, yeah, when he gets out into the now. open field, his he gets upfield quickly. Like he does have some speed to him. So yeah, I mean that's that's definitely a nice element to his game. It, it's not the same, obviously, as some of the other elite athletes Oklahoma has had at the quarterback position over the last five or six years. But he's not he's not Spencer Rattler back there, essentially. Do you see quick sidebar? I don't want to go too far. Did you see uh, Spencer Rattler's scramble yesterday in the bowl game? Did not see a single second of that game. Just real quick, I saw. I just saw. I was scrolling through Twitter. I saw a highlight of it. It looked like the ball had like an invisible rope tied to it. He was stepping up in the pocket like he was going to run. He then saw one of his running backs. I think down the field. It was like third and six, and it's like he was going to shovel pass it forward to his running back, and he sh- he like shovels it, but the ball goes out of his hand about two feet, and then goes back to him. Like he throws it to himself, like it, like it was like a yo-yo. It was the weirdest thing ever, and it confused the defensive players because they started going after the guy he was throwing it to. The ball comes back to Rattler, and he scrambled and picked up the first down. It was I've never seen anything like it before. It was very bizarre. Anyways, cool. So that first drive. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I hate whenever another podcast where people kind of just go off into tangents, and you're like, shut up, get back to the main point. Uh, how about Dylan Gabriel on third? You mentioned the scramble on third down. He picked up a first down. Earlier in the drive, he had a really nice throw on third and medium to Braden Willis. Nice strike on an out route uh, for a first down. Oh, yeah. So we I think got Oklahoma the full, was, two, was two for two on third down. We got the full Dylan Gabriel experience in this one, man. It was, I thought, it's, it's always, there's always like stuff that he does really well in a game. Whereas in this one, it was, I thought he, he did a good job of picking some of his spots running when he could escape the pocket. And also, I feel like for maybe only the second time this year, I think he was, he was pretty good in this regard against Kansas as well. He was good in third and medium. Th- he was good and accurate on third and medium. And they were able to pick up some third downs because of some nice throws that he was able to make. And I just, that, that has, that's been pretty few and far in between this year for him. And so I, I, I do want to point that out. He was, he was good. I mean, that, that touchdown pass to Farouk was, I mean, that was a really good throw. That was not a very, very large window. Yeah, it was a strike. It was an absolute seed right after he took a sack. By the way, OU 8 of 17 on third down, almost 50%. You take that all day, every day. That's, that's really nice. Uh, one of two on fourth down. Uh, but also, you said the full Dylan Gabriel experience, and this is just the opening drive, but uh, I mean, he severely underthrew Marvin Mims when Mims had a, touchdown. Step, a step and a half. Uh, and, you know, that, that's a touchdown. And so that, I mean, but fortunately for Oklahoma, they end up scoring on the drive anyways uh so up seven three uh the the defense doing a nice job in the first half i mean the next series for florida state was the series where florida state had two different snaps third and one and fourth and one and ou gets off the field gets a stop i mean stops him gets a tfl a fourth down turnover on downs i believe it was jeffrey johnson with the fourth down tackle for loss he had a good game he had he had maybe his best game of the season i I thought i noticed him more in that game than i had pretty much all year it was a uh, hey. I, I just want to say I, I thought the defense, and this is something that we can pretty we can say, you know, f- uh, especially in the last month of the season. I thought the defense played well for the first three quarters of the game, and then and then the, and then kind of the wheels came off in the fourth quarter. I thought it was. I thought they very clearly scouted Florida State's run game really well. They really never got their running backs going at all. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with that for the most part. Uh, second half, you look at the, the numbers of Florida State in the second half, with the exception of the Billy Bowman interception, Florida State did whatever it wanted. But maybe a lot of that was in the fourth quarter, not necessarily the third quarter. I, I think, put it this way, I think you'll agree with this statement. Uh, for 
the umpteenth, eh, that's, that's, that's hyperbolic. Uh, the defense played against Florida State. The defense played well enough to win the football game. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they were, the defense, like, they, they got what they needed from the defense. They got three quarters, and they only gave up 18 points in the first three quarters. If, if you would have told me that Florida State was only going to have 18 points going into the fourth quarter, I'd be like, oh, sweet. OU has a chance to be up by, like, 17 points, if that's the case. And yeah, and we talked about this before the game. I mean, this is the most explosive offense in, in terms of number of explosive plays. And that's safe. In all of college I mean, football. As advertised, that's, that's really what it was. All of their yards pretty much came on their explosive plays. Well, I don't know why they didn't throw the ball more to their six seven receiver Johnny Wilson. I mean, I was had, yeah. They were it, there was a time in that game where I started to realize, man, any time that Florida State has less than four pass catchers on the field, they're just giving OU money. <laughs> I mean, Wilson had one mess up. He dropped he dropped a wide open deep ball. Yeah, he I scored on the, that drive anyway. Did they? All right, so didn't even matter. Guy goes over two hundred yards. Uh, just absolutely torched Oklahoma secondary, and I, he was getting so many targets in the Florida game when I was watching it. And then I go back and look at the box score of the Florida game, and Wilson only had two catches somehow. I, I don't, I don't know how that worked out, but what I what I noticed is that they didn't. And this is something that kind of, and maybe you know anyone who is a little more versed in this stuff can, if they watch it back. I just I didn't notice OU paying special attention to Johnny Wilson at all, which I don't understand. I I don't. How do you not? put an extra guy like on him or try to bracket him I didn't really notice that at all unless it was just you know the 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 occasions where were uh where they did find him that those were just the occasions where they weren't doubling him or they weren't doing something extra on him but he was really their only receiver that I thought showed any sort of burst or any sort of anything that OU should be scared of and so I Whereas, like, I, I, I thought OU scouted their run game well. They were, they, they were prepared kind of for their GT counteraction, which they ran a lot. And I thought Danny Stutzman had a really good game with his run fits and all of that stuff. But, man, it just didn't seem like... It seemed like they were surprised at a lot of the routes that Florida State was running. They did not seem very... The, the secondary just didn't seem prepared at all for what Florida State was, was trying to do, in my opinion. And then, and then of course, they, just, they couldn't get really much of an organic pass rush, which has been... Uh, a big issue all season long and there you go and I think you know by the time the fourth quarter rolls around yeah Florida State being able to basically do whatever they want getting chunk yards in the pass game Johnny Wilson eight catches 202 yards didn't even score though somehow I think uh was it uh, the guy's nickname the, the first touchdown for Florida State is it Puka Puka Wilson is that his nickname like I don't know in the box score it's like Ontario I mean he had five for 74 in the touchdown so, I mean, not a bad game for that guy. But, yeah, I mean, Johnny Wilson did most of the damage through the air. And, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the secondary for Oklahoma, I mean, Billy Bowman had the interception. But outside of an interception, I just I can't remember anything really that po- – you know, I take it back. Jaden Davis came up and made a nice tackle on third down on a run play. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, but, I mean, like, outside of that, the secondary, I don't recall them being I mean, like there that were. Good. There were a few, you know, there there were a few snaps, right, where Florida State dropped back to throw and there just was no one open. They just covered everything well. But that's yeah. where the pass rush not being able to get home was a huge problem. And uh, I, I, th- I thought there was, you know, interesting stuff. You know, I, I, there's a lot of stuff that I feel like Florida State could have done that they didn't. For instance, they got to get, and, and maybe, um, gosh, what, what's this guy? I, I want to keep saying Travis Barker, freaking Blink-182. Um, Jordan, Jordan Travis, they got to get him out of the, like, 
he is such a good runner. He he's the best runner on their team, and I feel like they never really wanted to get him out like side of the unless like he. I feel like he never got loose unless it was a scramble. But even though he's like by far their most explosive runner with the most wiggle on their roster, I thought it was kind of odd that they didn't have him on more designed keepers stuff like that. Um, I don't know, man. I I, I thought Jordan Travis was pretty good. I, I thought his I thought his talent was pretty clear. He kind of he's got a really strong arm. He throws seeds. He's a good player. He did have that one third down throw in the first half where it was like, what was that? It looked like he'd never played football before. But yeah, like there, there were some. But there were some throws that were just like really impressive. I thought his um his first touchdown throw, that corner out to the the Puka guy or whatever you want to say, the guy was open. But there was just something about kind of the zip and the velocity on that ball that you saw from the um kind of from from the sky cam angle that sort of was eye opening. I was like, oh wow, that that guy he just put that on a freaking line. Um, and he had some other throws like that too. The um, the long throw to Johnny Wilson in the fourth quarter where Broyles is on him that everyone is upset about was a, was a perfect football throw. Um, that's just kind of an unfortunate situation where a good quarterback and a good receiver made a play. But, I, you know, geez, man. He's, there were times where he absolutely saved Florida State with his dynamism. And uh, I, I thought that was pretty good. Man, there were, there were a couple of throwaways that he had that he just pulled out of his butt that were huge. Um, there was one where a Stutzman kind of ran him down and he grabbed him by the horse collar and he let go right away, but he was, he was still able to corral him. And right before his knee hit the ground, he was able to, to underhand toss it to a running back that just miraculously and conveniently was there. He was able to ground it. And there was also another one in the first half that he was, he was, he was getting sacked and he was able to kind of shovel it off to a, uh, to a tight end who I think was there for an outlet and he was able to pick up like five yards. And that was on a, I think that was on a drive where they scored. So, man, that sucked. They, I, I thought there were, there were some instances where OU defended it really well, but then Jordan Travis was just a really talented player and he was able to get out of it. And that's just unfortunate. That sucks. Yeah, he's a nice player. There's also, though, another one where he was rolling out to his right and Danny Stutzman chased him down and made a really nice tackle, got sacked him. Uh, Actually, yeah, I was going to... I was gonna I was gonna record that play and send it to you in a Snapchat and say the best defended play for OU all season question mark <laughs> uh, maybe like for a non secondary I I still love just uh, just uh, Billy Bowman's interception against Florida, or Oklahoma State I just love the way he broke on the ball he recognized the play but I'm you know I'm biased towards D backs but yeah that. That was, you know, Danny Stutzman looked fast on that play. Like he looked, he looked a lot faster on that play to me than he did on his interception against Iowa State when he was trying to take it I back just, for a touchdown. I, I I liked it because one, it's a it's a play where everyone was covered up in the secondary. They had everything covered. The defensive line, they had two or three guys who won their pass rushes, and then Ethan Downs set the edge on the outside, which forced Jordan Travis back inside and allowed Danny Stutzman to have that really good angle to run him down for a six yard loss. It was it was a really well defended play. I'm with you on all that except for I don't under, like the Ethan Down. Like, I, don't, I don't know about Downs because if I, my memory is that uh, Travis was well outside the pocket towards the sideline and uh, Stutzman did a nice job of not overrunning it. Like he could have easily overrun it uh, because the sideline was there, but he, he was able to keep. I guess what's the right way to put it? He was under control. And then brought it down. I'm not sure where where uh, Ethan Downs fit into that play at all. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. But I thought Downs. I thought Downs forced forced him to make a decision. 
Maybe he did. I don't know. I can't remember it. But uh, let's see where I was getting at. But like Jordan Travis, yeah, he's a nice player. I mean, six one. He's only a three star recruit. So it makes you wonder. I mean, has he? He must have improved. Maybe as a passer. I'm, maybe he, he wasn't that great of a thrower in high school or something like that. He's a great athlete. It doesn't so, like I can I can tell watching him that he's 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 definitely Jekyll and Hyde with his accuracy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like when well, you we like, were, I'm I'm sure if you get pressure on you affect him. I bet his accuracy just takes a nosedive. I mean, he was 13 of 30 against Florida. Oh yeah, yikes. Well, where were we? We were <laughs> we were going through the game, and uh, we got to you know the great play by Jeffrey Johnson. They stopped him, got the field, but of course uh, OU's up seven three. The defense makes a nice stop. Uh, they get the football back to the offense in plus territory. And what does Oklahoma do? Of course, Oklahoma goes three and out and gives the ball right back to Florida State. Just uh, can't grab any momentum. Uh, the first play of I that mean, drive. We, can we like? Do we really want to go? You want to go drive by drive? I, I mean, we don't have to. It's just it's just an annoying part of the the offense not taking advantage of the defense making a nice play. Yeah, but they also. I mean, the defense goes back, like the defense goes back out there and they they force another stop and they get the ball they right did. back for yeah. the offense. Yeah, they did. You're right. And you know, Oklahoma goes down. Uh, and they score on the, they next, the a, next time they get it. Yeah, they got the 14-3 lead, and that was wherever um, Dylan Gabriel's touchdown run, which is really nice play design by Jeff Levy. I, I'm not sure if I've – I mean, I've seen it before, but not very often, the, the zone read, but the, like the reverse turnaround run or whatever. I don't even know what you want to call it. Uh, but, you know, Dylan Gabriel, instead of zone read and then running forward, he reverses, turns his back, and then kind of flips around, totally fooling the backside of the, the play, and – He's got nothing but green grass for the touchdown. I thought that was a clever little little zone read play design to give Oklahoma a 14-3 to lead. And you're like, man, that, this team's playing pretty well. Let's see what the defense does. Let's see if they can make this even a three-score game. And, heck, they had a chance to. They had a chance to later in the quarter, but Oklahoma did not. Yeah, and that's – I mean, I think that's uh, – yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. It's a nice little nice little play call. I thought Jeff Levy actually had a pretty nice day uh, re-watching it, um, kind of understanding what was working and where they, like, you know – Oh, I, I thought OU did do a pretty good job of of scheming up some nice stuff in the run game. Um, but yeah, uh, you you talk about them. You know, they get the ball back up fourteen to three. I think they got a short field up fourteen to three because didn't they get another fourth down stop for them? Let's see, fourteen. Yeah, because they stopped I them think- twice on fourth down in the first half. I, don't know, I didn't get that far. I, I do know that the drive that set up, uh, you know, the drive where they went up 14 to three, I think was the, I think that was a drive where it was set up by a nice Marvin Mims punt return. Uh, yep. But also uh, they were third and 15 on that drive. And Marvin Mims made his first of, of his two just terrific grabs on third and 15. Oh, no, no, that was later. That was later. I'm sorry. No, I think, I think you're right. No, it definitely you're was. Right. It was the, it was the third and 15 throw to Mims, and then it was the Sachuk uh, touchdown run yes. that was called back. So you're correct. So they, so yeah, Oklahoma up 14 to three. What, that's what you were saying, right? They got the ball with great field position again. And yes, okay, yep. You're, you're right about that. And that's, they went backwards immediately and were on third and 15, and that's whenever they connected with Marvin Mims. And the very next snap, as you were saying, was the Gavin Sachuk touchdown run that was called back due to a holding. And that was a obviously incredibly important part of the game because Oklahoma was a play away from going up 21-3. to 
and that was it, right? I mean, that was the that was the play. That was the sequence. And then you know they they miss the field goal. They go backwards again. They get he gets sacked again, I believe, on one of those plays that Florida State just scouts really well. Um, they they keep going backwards, and then I think there's another there's like a two yard Javante Barnes loss run in there as well. I think on third down, uh, they missed the field goal, and I think every OU fan in the situation is thinking to themselves they're circling that sequence right there. It's like okay. That is that is the part of this game that is the most like this OU team from November and, and late October, right? Oh yeah, and I mean you were we were in a text thread, and I mean you you said it in the thread. You said, "Up, oh, well, now Florida State's going to get the ball and go down and score a touchdown easily," and that's exactly what happened. I mean, exactly what happened. There was and they scored easily. It was very. I mean, it's that it's those quick change where it seems like OU has grabbed all the momentum, and they just can't make one more play. Or they do. I mean, Sachek has a touchdown run. But it's obvious. I mean, the the hold did spring him, and on that one, you're just you're just kind of frustrated that Savion Bird didn't have the sense just to kind of shoulder check him, which is all he needed to do. Yeah, it was weird. It was like his instincts took over, and his instincts were to grab the guy and throw him. Oh, down. for sure, like, dude. Just like needed just one shoulder check to throw him off of his uh, off of his route, and that was it. That's all he needed. Yeah, and, and of course they go down and score a touchdown. Previously, Oklahoma's defense had, I mean, you know, they gave up some yards in the first possession, but they were able to hold them to a field goal. But the previous three series before the touchdown drive, it was turnover on downs, punt, turnover on downs. <laughs> so like, the defense is playing well, and all of a sudden, uh, that's when the defense stops playing well at the same exact time when the offense can't take advantage and, and can't extend the lead even more. And, and yeah, and that's yeah. where... That's where I so I don't know if we want to go drive by drive because I, I I do have kind of some other big picture stuff and there's there's obviously some thing like some big picture takeaways I have from this game and so just because this is where we are in the game can we start with my number one takeaway and we'll start with the offense is Gavin Sawchuk is a star and where has he been that's that's what I wanted that was my number one takeaway I thought that was the most interesting development of the game is that. To me, by my eyes, Gavin Sachuk is the most talented running back on the roster. And we didn't see him until the Cheez-It Bowl. Why? All right, here we go. I'm glad you brought it up. I was waiting for it. And I, I feel like I had to convince you for half of that game. You and Brady Trantham. About like, like all, I, all I could, it took me one, one rush of Gavin Sachuk to tell me, number one, he was a be- he's a better running back than, than Javante Barnes. His first carry of the game, he immediately shrugs off a tackle and picks up nine yards. And I was like, oh, that's different than what we've seen of the last, like, five rushes from Javante Barnes tonight and basically every single carry this season from Javante Barnes. So, yeah, I, I, that, that's what I was wondering the entire time. Now, I'm not going to go. You're, I, think, I, let's, I, I think you're a little hard on Javante Barnes. I see something, and, and I think a lot of other people see something that you just don't see in him. I, I see, like, a burst that he has. He just needs to get stronger because you lay a finger on him and he can be pulled down. That's his biggest problem right now. But like I Well that's has, why it's so confused. He, he, he has an initial burst that is pretty clear to me. I, so here's my issue with, with Javante Barnes. We've seen him now for a lot of carries this season. And he's a player to me. I don't think he has very good vision. He runs to contact and he does get tackled if you touch him. And it's 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 confusing because I think he is a strong player. Short yardage, I think he's pretty good. Like he can he falls forward, it seems like, yet if he gets touched, they bring him down. Like it doesn't. His it doesn't problem make is that he finds me. himself 
in, in, in like a lot of moments, it feels like in the open field where he just needs to break one arm tackle and he has an explosive play. And I don't think he's been able to break a single one of those arm tackles this season. Well, and that's that. I, I just don't think he's got it in him. He's he's stiff. This he's is where okay. Flexible. This is where you need to calm down a little bit, though. He's a true freshman. So is Gavin Sachuk, and okay. he looks like a, a, a but, natural so running back. The way there. that you talk about Barnes, though, is that like throw him in the trash. He's basically Marcus Major. No, no. I so Javante Barnes is is de- has a really bright future at OU. Maybe no. My main frustration is, and this is why I don't I don't know, and I don't. I'd, I'd like to know the answer to this question. Clearly, Oklahoma this season decided that, hey, we're going to have one true freshman running back get a lot of carries and play a lot of games, and that was Javante Barnes. Gavin Sawchuk has, has been there uh, not as long as Barnes. Barnes was there in the spring, and so my thought is, is it just simply because Javante Barnes has been on campus longer, therefore he's the guy that Brent Venables and Jeff Lebby and DeMarco Murray decided, yep, this is the true freshman that we're going to give carries to? Because you're not going to convince me that over the last three to four weeks – all of a sudden, Gavin Sawchuk just became a really good running back. I'm not going to buy that. I, he's had, this is who he is. So my question is, at what point did they decide that Javante Barnes is our true freshman that we want to give a bunch of carries to? And it seems like, as Brent Venables kind of alluded to this in the postgame, that he said, hey, it's, it's nice that Gavin Sawchuk was able to keep his red shirt. So it's a red shirt year. Like, at what point did they decide that, all right, well, this is going to be our red shirt guy, and this is the guy that's going to play a lot because my eyes told me in that bowl game that Gavin Sachuk's a better player than Javante Barnes, and I would have loved to see him get Javante Barnes's carries this year and not Barnes. Like so, but in a way, though, now the season's over and Oklahoma was six and seven, whatever, it's a throwaway year. It is nice to know that now Sachuk has a red shirt year under his belt, and he, in theory, has more he has more seasons available to him moving forward. So, I mean, in the future, that's cool, but like, it's just kind of annoying to me that. Uh, and that's, I think that's the question that you were answer, a, asking at the beginning of this. Like, where has he been all season long? Uh, yeah, I'm just I curious. I, I'm just curious because you're, I, I agree. My eyes tell me that, that Sawchuck is, is better than Barnes, for sure. Um, why he isn't out there, I, I would assume you basically answered your own question there with Barnes being here in the spring and Sawchuck not. I think you, you answered your question. Um, but, like, also at the same time, I mean, Sachuk's a star, man. That guy is clear RB1 going into next year. And I'm just like, OU's good. They don't need to go into the portal for a guy. That dude is awesome. Like, we, like I, I heard about how explosive and how great Florida State's two running backs were. Yeah, Gavin Sachuk's definitely better than both of those guys. He looked like the best running back on the field. Fumble withstanding. Uh, yeah, he fumbled. That sucked. That was a bad fumble. Not great, okay? Like, yeah, that dude's like, happen. I'm... Like, I look but, at Gavin like Sachuk. His bright spots I'm, over his bright spots very much overshadowed the fumble. Yeah, and I like I'm I and maybe I'm just putting way too much stock into that just this one game. But man, he seems to have a totally extra gear and balance to him that that guys just don't have a lot. I, I feel like, and there's there's a lot of guys that you can compare him to. And this is just one game where he got 15 carries. But yeah, I mean he he definitely looks like a mix between Quentin Griffin and Rodney Anderson to me, and. Um, it's just it's it's interesting. You're 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 very right. When was it clear how good this guy was, and why wasn't he getting? You're, like you make a good point. There is no way that he made this jump in bowl practices. He had to have looked this good in November as well. 
Yeah, and it, it all it kind of comes off to me again because Brent Venables kind of threw it at the end of whenever he was talking about Sawcheck praising him. It was like, yeah, you know, it was nice to keep his red shirt. So at some this point, is it was not, decided like... It's, it's very concerning they're even thinking about a red shirt. What I saw from Gavin Sawchuk, that dude's going to be here for two more years, and that's it. Maybe. Yeah, I, especially as a running back. I mean, they have such a, a short shelf life. It sure would have been nice to have, you know, I've talked about it a bunch over the last year since Jeff Levy was hired. We've, we've referenced his offenses at UCF and at Ole Miss and the running game. He gets a lot of players carries. I think last year at Ole Miss, three different running backs, I think, had over – I'm going to get this wrong. I, it might have been over 100 carries, like three different guys. Or it, was, it, was, it was a lot. So point being is that if you're a, a running back in the system, you get touches, and yet it was just Eric Gray and it was Javante Barnes this year. They, they tried to get Marcus Major going, but obviously they didn't work out. It's like, so my thing is like you, you couldn't find a way to get Gavin Sawchuk some touches in, in a season where you're struggling to win games and you may not even have a winning record towards the end of the season. Don't you want to win games? I, like red shirting was at the top of mind, I guess, or was it simply – is it, and this is like where the, if this is the case, it's a huge red flag, a lack of talent evaluation, whether it's Jeff Levy, Brent Venables, DeMarco Murray, not seeing it on the practice field that, oh, no, we, we think that Javante Barnes and Marcus Major are, are better than this true freshman. And I mean, I don't know, maybe he's a terrible practice player. Maybe he's awful because like, they've seen him a lot more than we have. We've seen him in one game now. And I, he looked different. But also at the same time, I think it's like, it's, I don't want to go like into the theme of this season too much of just being like annoyed by something like this. I'd rather be happy that it looks like they have their stud running back for next year. That's fine. That's great. Because yeah, like, I'm that's happy the guy, too. I mean, because yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's it, it is very easy to think like, gosh, man, if they would have just given this guy maybe seven or eight touches a game in November, he seems like a guy who definitely would have broken one of those for a touchdown. I feel like, whereas like Eric Gray wasn't providing that. No, and I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, winning is super important. They want to win every single game. But I mean, Brent, one of the first things Brent Venable said after the game was that I told the guys not to play to the scoreboard tonight. And that's an old coaching coach speak cliche of like, you know, I just want the guys to go out there and play hard and be physical and be disciplined and do their job, blah, 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 blah. But man, I just I cannot imagine being a coach and saying that, saying that to my team. I'm not going. I don't want you guys to play to the scoreboard tonight. That's the. Ah, see, I, I don't got a problem game. with that. That's that's the exact message that Nick Saban has to Alabama. Well, the difference though is that Nick Saban has a ton of results to back it up. I I, I understand and, that, but like the whole idea, Lee, is to get them into into a mindset of just the next play. Focus on what you can control. This play. It's just it's it's just coach speak. Like I I I, I think you do put way too much emphasis on stuff like that. I'm, well, you know why I do? Because for a year, we had a lot of really good talk, a lot of really good coach speak. And then when the season came around, Oklahoma went six and seven. So it comes off to me as that, oh, it's you guys, you're really good at talking, but talking. Yeah, and then, they, and then they would turn around and they say, what are you talking about? The scoreboard, we won. Why is everyone so upset? Like, so you can, <laughs> there's, there's a middle ground there. You can't just go all in one direction. Wait, what do you mean that we won? That Oklahoma went six and seven. You're talking about you just brought up the coaching staff last season. No, no, no. I'm talking about no. I'm talking about Brent Venables in the last year since he was hired. I have it was everything he said was very, very good. And you know there was a lot of stuff where it was like, yeah, that kind of seems like cliched coach speak. But 
I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt because I think he's a really good coach and I'm, I'm excited about what he's going to do here. And now that we have a full season under our belts and the team goes six and seven, first losing season since 1998, it's one year of evidence of like, oh, like, well, it was all talk. Like, talk is easy. Uh, all right, well, the talk didn't lead to a bunch of wins on the field. So that's, that's where my skepticism comes in. And that's why I roll my eyes at, at more coach speak after the game. And, I mean, Venables, to his credit, he said, yeah, you know, we were 6-7. and seven. We're going to get judged on that, and that's fair. We should be. That's not good enough. And he's right about that. But, again, he, he says a lot of the right things. He says a lot of the good things. That's good. It's just now, okay, there's one year under your belt. The win total for Oklahoma going to the year was 9.5. They won six games. They severely underperformed expectation. Going into year two, there's got to be a lot of things that are different. It's got to be better. And I just don't know if it – I'm not sure if it will be. That's, that's where I am right now, and that's what's kind of frustrating about it. But now I guess we're getting – this is more big picture stuff. We haven't finished talking about the entirety of the game. Uh, I don't uh, – I mean, the entirety of the game was – it's the rest of the – I mean, it is what it is, man. Like, I, I thought OU slightly outplayed Florida State in the first half. And then Florida State slightly outplayed OU in the second half. It's an even game that could have gone either way. And, the, and at the end of the day, essentially the, the, the difference in the game was Gavin Sawchuk's fumble and Savion Bird's hold. That, that was it. Those were the two plays in the game. Um, and I, Oh, you missed field? Well, yeah, I guess that was part of the Gavin That was the uh, same. The, yeah, the I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. folding that into kind of the same, the same bit. Yeah, there. you're right. Those are the two. Like, that was, I, like, I think it's far more interesting that everyone had just kind of buried OU dead and gone, and then the game, the game happens, and it's clear these two teams are even, even with OU down a bunch of guys. Yeah. Like, that is, that is extremely fascinating to me. And that was also when OU was healthy, when Dylan Gabriel played, that was pretty much the exact, <laughs> the exact feeling I had in all of their close losses as well. So, like, there's, there's something to be said about OU not hitting total rock bottom and not being that totally awful. Right, okay. like because yes. the because the rhetoric doesn't actually meet the like reality a lot of the time with what people are talking about. I, I yes, six and seven is sucks. It's totally unacceptable. There were times this season where they made boneheaded mistakes, stupid mistakes when they just couldn't have it, and that was that was way too consistently happening. But also, they haven't hit rock bottom. They they are st- they're still able to complete forward passes this season. They were still able to find ways to move the ball even when their entire offensive line was out. They got some better players than we think, and it, it gives me more confidence that hey, man, if they just kind of inject maybe some more talented guys onto this team, maybe there is something to be said about them being able to maybe take that next step, especially defensively. I want to ask a, a big picture question before we do three word reviews because three word reviews we got a lot of them and, and that'll definitely bring us back to some other parts of the game probably that we haven't hit on yet. But I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this part up as I was you know criticizing Brent Venables and uh, just I I don't know I'm I was very much in the camp of he's going to be a really really good coach and now a year under his belt I don't know I I'm I'm more honestly I'm I'm leaning towards I'm not sure if he's the right guy and I got to bring up. His game management, using timeouts the way he did in that game, is just unacceptable. You, you call a timeout on defense in the third quarter of a game in which it's a one-score game. Timeouts are important, especially in one-score games in the second half, and it's really dumb to use timeouts on defense. And 
the timeout didn't do anything because Florida State still scored on that possession. So it was a wasted timeout. Oklahoma sure could have used that timeout late in the game whenever they were trying to preserve time. I didn't have as much of a problem with the second timeout they used in the, in the second half because it was, uh, I believe it was on fourth down. It was kind of, you know, it was on offense. It was a big play in the game. They need to figure out their stuff. Okay, I, I'm not as bothered by that. So Oklahoma should have had an extra timeout late in that game when they were driving. And I know they, their backs were against the wall, but what that did, and I did the math on it, not having that extra timeout, it cost Oklahoma 22 seconds. So they started that, I think, last drive with, I think, 55 seconds to go in the game. It should have been something like a minute and 22 or a minute 17 or something like that, whatever the math is. And again, like it wasn't looking good. They probably weren't going to win the football game. They probably weren't going to. But that extra 22 seconds sure would have at least allowed them a chance to get off a fourth down play there at the end when the clock ran out. Just something like, like the little it's a it's a thing where he's talked about the little things and doing all the like the small stuff, like whenever the, the lights are dark and no one's watching, blah, blah. I mean, just little stuff like that in game. He messed up. He, he made the wrong call. You, you don't call time, timeout on defense. And what did I ask everybody before the season starts, man? Like the, what we don't know about Brent Venables is what is he on game day? Can he coach on game day? And boy, oh boy, uh, after one season, I'm not sure the right way to put it, but I can't say that he's a really good game day coach as far as game managing uh he certainly needs work and so i just wanted before i get to the, the rest of the podcast I, i'm glad i remember that i wanted to bring that up because i was I, I was not happy with the way he called a timeout in the third quarter on defense because timeouts are important in one score games when you need to potentially preserve time at the end anything on that no i mean i yeah i wish he wouldn't have called the defensive timeout i i, I mean we are how you can be around football for this many years and you think it's a good idea to call a timeout in that situation. I just, it's crazy. It's that's bizarre to me, man. I, I don't get it. I mean, so, I, I get it. It makes perfect sense. I mean, coaches have been calling stupid timeouts forever since, since you've been watching football. Oh, well, Bob Stoops sure, used like, to do it all the time. So I guess my Lincoln Riley like, did I, it all the time because because that's not where my like my I'm not wired that way. So I just I don't understand how when you're on the field that these guys are wired that way to where they'll they'll do it. It's just it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm I'm still like I get it. Yeah. I, there's there's been plenty of red flags this year. If if you really really want to shine a light on them, I I do. But also there are some positives as well that not a lot of people are like. For instance, I, I'm sorry. This this staff is is just light years better at recruiting than the last staff and that has to count too because bringing good players into your program at the end of the day is the most important part about being a head coach in college and that 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 part has to count too it really does and they're they're bringing in really good players it it seems like yeah no you're right no they're they're being uh home run grand slam so far on the recruiting trail and i just like it's uh, yeah they like the people who were who are saying who are burying OU before this game and saying they're going to get blown out and they don't they they don't stand a chance, I just like, and I'm not I'm not including you with this because you aren't at all. I just I don't have a lot of patience for a lot of Brent Venables criticism after this particular game. I just don't. You can't have it both ways. I understand the emotional like feelings regarding all of it, 
but you, you can't say that OU had no chance going into this game. And then they come in, they look really well prepared. They look, they look just as good of a team as Florida State, despite having like 10 guys out. And then you, and then you just bury Brent Venables. I'm not, I don't, I just, I don't think that that is consistent at all. Yeah. Oklahoma certainly, uh, uh, as opposed to as a season, as a whole, uh, where they were underwhelming and fell short of expectation, they certainly exceeded expectation in the bowl game, despite losing as a, like, you know, I, you, you, who's playing you cover. Who, you, yeah. No, I, I mean, I was going to say what is it? Utah and Penn state are playing in the Rose bowl on Monday. If OU played on the Rose Bowl on Monday against either of those teams, it would play out really similarly to how the Cheese It Bowl just did. That's just it's yeah, no, how, I, that's that's, that's who OU is this year. That's who they are. I think it's uh, I, those, I, wait, I think Clemson and who who played last night? Clemson and Tennessee. OU would play right with Clemson and Tennessee right to the very end and lose by a field goal. That's just who they are this year. Uh well, the thing is, that last half of the year, the last four losses, all by a field goal, the teams they played, I mean, Florida State's the best team they played, and Florida State's overrated. Like, I think, I mean, Cle- of, well, oh, wait, I'm sorry, how'd you qualify that in the second half of the season? The last four losses they had, all by a field goal, Florida State's the best team they played. Definitely. Of those Would four you, teams. And, and I said this last night, too, Florida State's not that much better than Texas Tech. So, like, this is like, but you saying that, all these the, the four different teams you just brought up that Oklahoma would play close against. I, I don't know. I mean, all those teams are better than the teams Oklahoma played at the end of the I year. I think Penn State I mean, and Utah are about the same quality as Kansas State. And I think OU would play right to the very end with Kansas State. Even to this day? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. That, uh, even with uh, back, I mean, Tennessee's backup quarterback just like was bombing it on Clemson's defense. But yeah, Clemson's I don't think, offense is awful, though. Yeah, so, no, Hooker but, with... With Hendon Hooker, Tennessee is is probably one of the four best teams in the country. I don't think, oh, you wouldn't hang with with Hendon Hooker, Tennessee. I, but I basically Milton, the, the backup I, played pretty well too. I basically so. draw the cutoff line at Alabama. I think I think those because we've already seen OU get blown out by TCU. Even though I think if they would have played later in the season, it probably would have been close as well. But that's kind of where my cutoff is. I, I think I think Alabama would probably beat up on OU pretty good. But everyone else, like OU probably plays with them. Yeah, no, I, that's, they, not, that's, that's not crazy ex- to think so. It's not crazy to think that either. No, I, I agree. I agree. Okay, so here's my big, uh, my big question, and then we're going uh, to get to three-word reviews. So is it possible there are two camps of OU followers right now? Like, where, like, where do you stand? Like, like, draw, you know, a line in the sand. N- number one, the two different options you can be. And there might be a third, but uh, we'll get to it. Number one, Obviously, you're disappointed in the 2022 season, but you believe that Brent Venables showed that he can be an elite recruiter, and you also believe that he is the right person for the job because you've seen enough this year, I guess, and it's year one, so that gets you super excited for next season. So that's, that's camp number one. Or camp number two, obviously, you're disappointed in the way the 2022 season went on the field, and yes, it's good to see that Brent Venables and the staff seem to be an elite recruiting staff, top five class. But even with that fact, you saw enough in 2022 on the field to tell you that Brent Venables is not the right person for the job. Now, are those the only two camps you can be in right now? If you're an Oklahoma fan, supporter, follower, or is it fair to say that there's a third option where you're just kind of in the middle of those two? I mean, I think everyone think? should just be in the middle right now. That's what we should, that's what we should see. I, we... 
The recruiting is excellent. I think their game planning is really good. They come out prepared for games. It seems like they have a lot of really good, nicely drawn up stuff that works on offense. And they seem to come out a lot of the time kind of understanding what the other offense wants to do to their defense. I, I think so that's good. good and I think the recruiting half. is great. <laughs> oh, he's a good first half team. That's, I think it's kind of what we figured out. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, yeah. it's... There's plenty of red flags if you want to look for them, but like I said, there's plenty of good stuff if you want to look forward to. Which, it just it kind of all depends on how you feel that day. Do you want to be happy or do you want to be miserable? And for me, it doesn't... I mean, I don't know. It's a coin flip day to day for me. <laughs> it's just... It's a coin flip. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh, between, I mean, first half, second half. I mean, Florida State's offense had five possessions after halftime. Touchdown, interception, touchdown, touchdown, field goal. Averaged 8.1 yards per carry. So... Second half was not great, um, but honestly, the first half on a yards per play basis still wasn't that good. It was they still got seven point four yards per play, but the difference was oh, you got stops. I mean, they they turned it over on downs, forced a couple punts, uh, missed field goal there at the end. So I mean, I, I think it was a mixture. I mean, the offense also wasn't as sharp after halftime, and it's they they got to play four quarters. <laughs> What's the old Lincoln Riley cliche was? They got to play sixty minutes. Alex Grinch said it all the time. Uh, that certainly seems to be the case. But hey, man, I mean. Oklahoma first half, that was a pretty good bet the last half of the season, if you could do it. Uh, and by the way, Gavin Sawchuk, 6.7 yards per carry in the game. Ro uh, I almost said Robert Barnes. Holy cow. Uh, Javante Barnes, only four yards per carry, just to kind of drive home the difference. And they gave the Barnes the ball 12 more times. Uh, Barnes had 12 more carries than Gavin Sawchuk and had only eight more yards rushing. So it just he just did not. Like, the, the guys were two different players. Um, it would have been nice to see them flip it. Like Barnes gets 15, Sacha gets 27, see what would have happened. Either way, the future, I, I do like knowing that Sacha looks like a player. I just wish, I want to know why he didn't play more. But I don't know if we're ever going to figure that out. Well, All I'm just going to be happy with, they, they, they found their, their legit RB1 for next year. And I think Barnes is a nice option as well. Because I think, I think he puts 5 or 10 pounds of muscle on, especially on his lower body. And he starts running through arm tackles. I think he can be just an explosive play waiting to happen every time he touches the ball. I hope that happens. I'm just not sure it's going to because, again, I think Barnes is pretty well built right now. I think he's pretty strong, and I, I still I, don't. I don't know. I mean, he's still just a true freshman. I, I think you gotta you do got to give it time. Not everybody is just going to. There, there are people who can develop, and you're not, you're not amazing right away. Yeah, you're correct. I, I just in the last handful of years, I mean, when I've seen certain players, certain backs – early on and that's who they are i mean kennedy brooks i saw it right away that's who he was a good player so i mean i mean Mar your, your favorite player marcus major sorry i mean it, and that's why that's why i'm excited on, about but, gavin yeah. sachuk because you see him carry the ball once and you're like oh yeah that guy's got a different juice than pretty much anybody who's touched the ball this year yeah and you can't you don't coach that that's just kind of talent and i just don't see that from Javante that's why, to me i know and that's he's fine. a guy that i think gavin sachuk looks to be a freaking stud like that's what like that's got, I, that I'm guy's not, good. I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not in that camp yet. But I, I do think he he displayed a lot more uh, flexibility, explosion, uh, tackle breaking ability than we saw in you know in one game than we we saw from Eric Gray and Javante Barnes this entire season. I mean, Eric Gray time to time could kind of do it, but it seemed kind of consistent in that game for Gavin Sawcheck. But I'm not ready to put him into the he's a star category yet. No, not yet. I mean, yeah, I just I'm. I'm not really, yeah, sure, he, like, he could get hurt, he could whatever, but he's got the pedigree. That guy's got the juice, for sure.
Let's go to the West of Everest Facebook page to read off all of your three-word reviews. And what I did is I asked for a three-word review of the bowl game, or if you'd like, you could leave one for the entirety of the season. So we'll see what we have here. First off from Ellen. Ellen says, what a game. Ellen just enjoying the game. Uh, James has a very uh, unique three-word review. It's more of like a statement. Uh, in th- <laughs> it's three three-word reviews, but it all uh, reads off a statement. So, uh, And this is a part that we haven't even talked about in the podcast. He says, what is the deal with refs and these spots? So, yeah, I mean, that was an issue in the game, right? It, it did seem like Oklahoma was getting shortchanged uh, two to three times on where the ball was being spotted, and it may have impacted the game a little bit. I'll say. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, on the rewatch, the one that was the most was on the. Uh, it was in the fourth quarter with with Florida State. It sh- it should have been fourth and fourth and like half a yard. On uh, I don't even remember the the sequence at this point in time because the defense wasn't playing particularly well in the second half. But any sort of any sort of scenario where Florida State would have been tempted to run the ball on on short yardage situation. OU had shown had shown a capability consistently in that game to to stuff it. So you never know. And it's like if if Florida State would have gotten into a tight formation and tried to run the ball, it, yeah, I mean you can definitely talk yourself into OU probably could have stopped them there because they had done it already in the game numerous times. So, but other than that, remember, that seemed to be the only one that actually really impacted the game. It, it must have came on the drive that Florida State ended up tying it at thirty two. Do you remember that at least? I mean, tying it at twenty-five. Oh, they t- when they tied it at twenty-five. Well, they ended up tying it at thirty-two as well, right? Because no, they took the a thirty-two to twenty-five lead. They oh. tied it at twenty-five, and then Sawchuck fumbled on the next drive. Oh, so it was either on one of those. So it was either on the drive where they tied it at twenty-five, or they took the lead at thirty-two. I'm pretty sure drives. it was when they um when they uh tied it or when they, I th- I think it was on the drive where they took the lead. They took a thirty-two to twenty-five lead. I'm kind of curious now. I just. I guess it was uh, whatever. Who cares? Uh, all right. So, but yeah, no. I mean, it was it was wrong. I mean, they they got they totally biffed the spot. It was the wrong spot. They he definitely did not get to the line to gain. Uh, should have been fourth and inches, and it should have at least made Florida State make a decision. Uh, it put them in a decision like in a scenario where they had not been good in the game leading up to that. So, yeah. I mean, I I really would have liked to see what Florida State would have done in fourth down there. Okay, I found it. It was, uh, yeah, third and three, a little swing pass outside, and, uh, oh, man, yeah, he definitely is a yard short. Unless, for some reason, the, nope, okay, the sticks are at the 25-yard line. The receiver gets stopped. Maybe, maybe, like, if you slowed it down frame by frame, the ball could have gotten close to the 25-yard line, but, yeah, like, that's definitely short, and they just put it, where did they, they spotted it right at the 25 that's yeah yeah and what's the thing is like i I saw somebody tweet uh, maybe it's one of our three word reviews or i don't know like they when oklahoma was going or maybe it was brady in our text thread or i don't know like whenever ou was going you know fast 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 after dylan gabriel fell on his butt on that play and threw it they were able they stopped the game there to check the spot or to make sure that he was down or whatever but in late in the fourth quarter when it's maybe close to a first down they don't they don't stop the game to, to measure or to check the spot. It's very inconsistent, right? It, that, that's kind of the frustration with it. Yeah, Which I mean, it is. Yeah. 
it is what it is. Like I, I, I understand why I was, I was more upset about the officiating in the moment. I, on the rewatch, I didn't really find a whole lot to be that upset about, to be honest with you. All right. Connor on the West of Everest Facebook page says better than expected. So, I mean, I think Grant, I mean, a lot of OU fans, and again, I, I don't have any evidence to back this up, maybe just on the uh, three-word reviews. I, does it seem like, I mean, you're on the message board stuff a lot more than me. You check that stuff. I mean, uh, did a lot of OU fans kind of think OU, OU would get run in this game? Like, did people yes. come into this game thinking they were going to get blown out? Yes. So, I mean, and I, I, I see on, I, And I see on, I... I don't know, and I see. Uh, th- I think that's where, like, I see on the message boards too, and I see a lot of people on the message boards just kind of upset how the game played out, and sort of kind of the same feelings as the end of the season, which is understandable. Like, I get it. Nobody wants to lose. It sucks to lose, but I uh, just just be consistent. You, you can't think that they're going to get blown out and then be upset that they were right there, and then I, it's just yeah, inconsistent oh, yeah, to for me. sure. That's fair. Whereas, like, I I mean, yeah, that that this is the game I expected. Going in, I expected them to be right there, <laughs> and and so I don't know. Just it's never as bad as you think it is. Never as good as you think it is. Yeah, I I, you know, I, I didn't think they would get run. Uh, I thought you know nine and a half, ten points. That was too much to swallow if you wanted to back Florida State. That just that just seemed like too high, too high of a number for an Oklahoma team that we know. Yeah, it's it's got problems, but. They, I mean, they had their, their Dylan Gabriel was playing. They had, like you brought up, they had most of their offensive weapons minus Dylan Gabriel, uh, minus Eric Gray. Yeah, the offensive line thing could have been a big factor, but it ended up not really being that big of a deal. And once you know the defense was able to get off the field after the first drive with only a field goal, and then the offense went down and scored. I know it's it's kind of cheating because it's two series in the game, but at that point it's like, oh, okay, well, this is the way Oklahoma's played the last half of the year. They're ready to go. Like they're prepared here in the first half. This is what they've been doing. And kind of what you were bringing up, you know, a, a couple of shows ago. It's like, yeah, they look always look ready to go. Look, it's just as the game progresses, that's where there needs to be some improvement. There needs to be some learning, some may, maybe better in-game adjustments. It was also early on, it was, I mean, Jeffrey Johnson and Isaiah Coe were winning inside against Florida State's offensive line pretty early on, too. So it was just like, I mean, the game was on. I mean, it was, <laughs> OU has more, has more good players than a lot of the fan base wants to give them credit for. And, I, and also I, another thing, yeah. uh, well, another thing that I, how much did this factor in? We were talking about all the reasons why maybe you should like OU, you know, the way the last game played out, that crazy loss to Tech where they blew a lead. So OU was coming into this game after a really annoying loss, a, a massive underdog. I mean, OU in games like this, I was trying to find this in non-playoff or non-New Year's six bowl games, this big of an underdog, almost, a you know, in some books, a 10-point dog. I, I couldn't even find the last time Oklahoma was this big of an underdog in a non-playoff or non-New Year's Six Bowl game. And my best guess is the 1994 Copper Bowl when OU lost to BYU 31-6. to And going into that game, OU was only 6-5, and and BYU was, I believe, let's see, that's 11 games. So I think BYU was maybe 8-3 and or 9-2 and going into that game. And so I'm surely OU was a, a pretty healthy healthy underdog in that one in uh, Gary Gibbs's final game as a coach but it's really hard to find point spreads for games before the late 90s uh, but anyways like it, it, point being is that Oklahoma very rarely is this big of an underdog against a team like that like this isn't 
you know, the, the Orange Bowl where they were a two-touchdown dog to Alabama or when they were a two-touchdown dog or more to LSU, the ba- best team ever, you know. So uh, that's another reason why I was like, ah, that's, that's too many points. Oklahoma can probably cover that spread, which they did easily. Should have won the game. More three-word reviews. Longtime listener, friend of the podcast, Harry, says, defense good enough. And that's what we were talking about earlier in the show, Harry. Yeah, I think the defense played good enough to win. That's Andy Yeah, I mean, sa- you, you just hope that the offense could have scored more points than, you know, more than 18 or more than 17 points through the first three quarters. Yeah. More on the West of Evers Facebook page. Andy says, Gabriel in portal? Question mark. All right, Grant, after you saw this game, we were talking about Dylan Gabriel and his future at the end of our last show. Any other new thoughts or developments about what Oklahoma might be thinking for next season? Oh, no. I mean, I, he's, I, he's going to come back. I, we had kind of that fun little talk on the last one, but I, I just yeah. expect him to be back. And you know what? He's, man, he's got a lot of stuff to improve on. But also, you, I, there's, there's, some, there, there's some instances where he makes some really nice plays, makes some really good throws, makes some good decisions running the ball. I mean, there were a couple of times in that game where, I mean, his, the two-point conversion, he made a really good play by himself. Uh, there was one where he, it was kind of like a little like screen pass to Braden Willis that got called back because of an illegal man downfield where he made kind of like a cheeky little kind of sidearm throw and hit him in stride. That was an impressive throw. But man, he's got, I mean, he's got a lot of, lot of work to do in the pocket, his awareness, We'll see if he can. I don't know. We'll see if he makes any adjustments. Yeah, by the way, that play you just referenced, the Braden Willis catch, big game, but it was called back due to a legal man downfield. I watched that back. The legal man was on the backside of the play. I don't know. There was no reason for him to even be upfield. Like, he, had, he wasn't blocking anybody. My guess it, is that's play. if it's not there, it's probably supposed to be like a run for Gabriel. So those guys are going out to block yeah, for Gabriel. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. It's just, okay. And that's and I like guess, and that and that, that goes back fair. to it. I think that was also a play where they tried to do the split zone action with Braden Willis, and they always had a guy there to cover it every single time. That was yeah, clearly it was, something it they was slow developing throughout the. Yeah. And the reason why it took a long time is because there was a guy covering Willis, and Gabriel had to stall and stall and stall until there was a window to throw it. It just sucks that on that play, really behind the play, it had nothing to do with it. The refs catch that. Come on, and. I know another thing that a lot of fans were complaining about on social media, and I mean, I think it's kind of fair. Like Florida State got flagged maybe what twice in the game, maybe three times, and Oklahoma they, got flagged. I saw quite two a bit. penalties. They had a they had a, a false start and I think a personal foul. And the both of, they didn't they did not get flagged in the second half at all. Because yeah, they had that face mask that helped out Oklahoma early in the first half where Gabriel got sacked but got bailed out because of a face mask. But yeah, uh, Florida State three penalties for twenty five yards. I mean, OU, 7 for 46, so, I mean, that's, that's not that terrible. It's just the penalties came at, at, at rough times for, uh, for Oklahoma. More from the West of Evers Facebook page. Nathan, keeping it positive, says, future looks bright. Uh, friend of the pod, Brady Trantham, referencing uh, what I brought up earlier that you didn't care about, but I, I certainly do. He says, don't play scoreboard, in quotation marks, referencing Brent Venables after the game. Yep, I, I'm bothered by that more than you are. I guess that's just a philosophical difference between you and I. We'll see how that plays out as time goes on. Scotty says, great DC, head coach, question mark. Obviously questioning Brent Venables. 
More from Scotty. He says, game over, finally. I think that's more of like a, a mixture of the bowl game, three-word review, but also maybe the entire of, you know, season, three-word review. <laughs> uh, and Scotty, yeah, Scotty's not, uh, not, he's kind of more probably towards where I am right now, being skeptical about Brent Venables. Scotty says, coaching is suspect. Uh, you know, it's, I say it all the time on the show, Grant. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, it'd be really bad if, if Brent Venables is not the right guy and they got to start over again here in the next year or two. Because then hey, we're, we're talking, I, holy can cow, I, like Can Nebraska. I bring this out, though? Can, can I just bring this up? Biggest red flag this season was, was the coaching staff not realizing how much the tempo was hurting this team. They moderated their tempo in this game. At least a little bit. So, so I, I did get the feeling of that. Yeah, early on in the game, we were texting about it. Uh, time of possession, I mean, it's a, it's a raw stat. OU did hold a slight edge in time of possession in the game. So that's, yeah. I mean, they held the, the, the problem is, I mean, Florida State still almost gained 600 yards of offense. <laughs> so, like, OU was able to hold the ball slightly longer than the Seminoles in the game, and yet the Seminoles' offense was really good on a play-to-play basis uh, for the most part. But, yeah, Oklahoma still should have won the football game. They, and who knows what would have happened if they just would have punched it in, gone up 21-3. to I mean, who knows what Florida State's game plan would have been. Uh, I mean, honestly, what would have happened there is that shootout would have been on because Florida State would have abandoned the run game, which they – they should have come. Four State just should have thrown the ball sixty times in this game, um, but they would have abandoned the run game and they would have they would have started putting up points quickly because they would have just been throwing it all over the yard. Because they're so good at the explosive plays, yeah. As and Oklahoma's secondary has been susceptible to those against teams that can throw the ball a little bit. And heck, I mean, a big thing about Brent Venables' defense is coming into his tenure at Oklahoma that we talked about is that Brent Venables' defenses over the years, even the elite defenses at Clemson, were susceptible to explosive plays. They'd give up big plays, even whenever that defense was really good. And, uh, yeah, that happened quite a bit this year. Let's see. Ben says on the West of Everest Facebook page, Barnes and Sawchuck. So future is bright with the running back room. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Chris, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, Chris says, by number 25, <laughs> Uh, so Justin Broyles is no longer going to be on the team. Uh, it seems like he's been on the roster for forever. Uh, so Justin Broyles, is, is, his career is done. And uh, I feel like this podcast, for the most part, only knows an OU team with Justin Broyles on it, except for maybe year one. He was definitely on the roster in 2017. Was he really? Was he a redshirt that year? Yeah, it was, that was his true freshman year. Oh, my gosh. So this was his sixth year? Okay. Well, and man, he him. was in hashtag Sooner Squad 17. Good for him, man. He, that's, that's how you take advantage of a full college career. Hopefully, he has multiple degrees. Uh, he's set up himself well for the future. And uh, that's, that's kind of the, the ups. Like, if you're a guy that, I mean, he's not going to play in the NFL. You know, if you're a guy that's not going to play at the next level, uh, that's kind of the hope, right? I mean, if you can stay in college that long, get your school paid for, hopefully get all these degrees that you want. Man, that's, that's a pretty great life, and I'm hoping that's what Justin Broyles did. All right. Rhonda says, glad it's over. <laughs> Justin on the West of Everest Facebook page says, lessons to learn. Also says, improvement to make, and also believe in BV. So Justin, keeping it, Keeping it uh, positive, but also being realistic. Like, hey, they got to they gotta get better. 
Uh, Matt says better than expected. Another one of those. C. Randy says three-point losses. That's a good one. I mean, the last four games, last four losses, all by three points. We talked about it. That's, I mean, again, if you want to look at it, glass half full, could have gone either way. Oh, actually, sorry, Randy. Uh, Randy has more thoughts. He says if we win the last four games we lost, all by three, Oklahoma is 10-3 and and everyone is happy. Oklahoma will be four points better next year. So Randy's going to keep it positive. I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And honestly, I hope, uh, you know, hopefully it's a little bit of an easier schedule next year with a more watered-down Big 12 coming in. Yeah, we'll see. That's Yeah, that, very curious to see when that schedule gets released just to see where they're going to play. Uh, Trey said he has two. He has one for the game, one for the entire season. He says, for the game, another close loss. Simple but true. And for the entire season, Trey's three-word review is Team 128 underachieved. That's true. Uh, <laughs> all right, now we got Tracy, who's got a bajillion three-word reviews. I'm not going to read all of them, Tracy. Let's see. Uh, he's, he's a little, uh, little negative. We'll, we'll put it that way. Uh, Tracy says, where was secondary? Question mark. Fair question. Also says, defense didn't improve. Uh, he also says, bad coaching decisions. Let's see. What else from Tracy? Poor game management's one of them. And I'll throw out, uh, Tracy's got a meme here, Grant, on the West of Everest Facebook page with a picture of Jeff Levy. And the meme says, bubble screens or bombs, there is no in-between. I'm not so sure that's 100% accurate, but a little bit of truth to it, I guess. Yeah, I, we're not going to get you started on Jeff Levy. No, uh, I mean, I was going to say... Um the biggest, you know, a few minutes ago, I mean, the biggest red flag that was shown this season, like, again, yeah, was that, was was their inability to adjust to the tempo hurting them. I don't, I don't, you know, man, can they, can they focus this offseason? Can the coaching staff get rid of a bit of pride and understand that they need to work on being more precise this offseason? Don't completely scrap the tempo. Understand when to use it and when not to use it. The offense needs to focus on being much more precise, much more precision. And because th- that's what modern offense is about. Getting into the right play, getting into the right guy. It's harder to do that when you're going a million miles an hour. Yeah, I think that's fair. Ned says glad it's over. So a lot of either glad it's over or, you know, better than expected type three word reviews. Uh, Shane also with glad it's over. <laughs> Uh, Mike says he's got he's got a, a comment. Mike says you only invited three words, but the bowl game showed some potential. If the excuses about experience stop, the team becomes disciplined. The secondary covers in zone coverage, and our thinkers can figure out clock and timeout management. I think Oklahoma will be much improved. <laughs> Future can be bright indeed. Well, Mike, I mean that's a lot of ifs though, right? <laughs> that's that's a lot of things to to improve upon. Uh, but he does have a couple of three-word reviews. Mike says, for the game, he says, there's some good. And for the season, Mike says, let's start over. Almost done with the West of Everest Facebook page. Shane also says, always next year. And finally, I think this is a good one to end on from the West of Everest Facebook page. Tim says, seen this before. And yeah, I mean, the game played out so 
so much like what we've seen the last half of the season in these losses. OU takes a lead, can't hold it. Don't know how to win games yet. Over to Twitter. And yes, my Twitter handle is still at Lee Benson News 9. Haven't changed it. Uh, it's a whole thing. Uh, don't work there anymore. Let's see. Uh, our cousin James says a winnable game. James's K-State Wildcats are playing as we speak against Alabama, Grant. And it looks like K-State's up 3 nothing. How about that? Bang. That vaunted K-State defense holding down Bryce Young, I'm sure. It doesn't look very good so far. I got it on right here. Oh, you got, you're watching it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big Bryce Young guy. Not sure if we've really driven that home yet, but uh, not, not a big Bryce Young guy. Uh, obviously a good player, but as far as like, uh, would you want him like on your NFL team as like a franchise? Eh, I, I would not. Uh, all right. Jacob on Twitter says, better than expected. Another one of those. Jeff here, pretty good. Jeff says, Sawchuck gives hope. Kind of sounds like what you were, Grant. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm just I I understand there's a lot of people who are excited after seeing him. I I may be in a different stratosphere with that. I saw just a total stud. I, I like that guy's that guy's gonna gonna be the focal point of the offense next year. Uh, he's he's good. He's a good player. Uh, Jeff <laughs> Jeff says another chunk play. You know, I didn't count up how many explosive plays Florida State got in that game, but it was they a had lot, a lot. Wasn't it? They <laughs> had a lot. Yeah. Uh, Brett says poor game management and also better players incoming. Okay. Let's hope that's true. The recruiting uh, rankings would sure uh, say that, that that's the case. How about this, Grant? I haven't mentioned this name at all yet on the podcast. Genius Oklahoma fan says fire Ted Roof. <laughs> you know, at what point is the old roofer going to be the, the first to go? I still think there's, I don't know, this game just even, I, I don't, there's no reason for him to be on the coaching staff at all. Yeah, it's, you know, here's, here's kind of the fun thing is Oklahoma's defense this year wasn't very good. Oklahoma State's defense this year wasn't very good. Uh, their defensive coordinator, I talked about this, I think, before the season started. Obviously, Derek Mason came in from Oklahoma uh, to Oklahoma State, and uh, Ted Roof comes in. But, I mean, it's Brent Venables' defense, but Ted Roof is the D.C., and I think I brought this up maybe on one of the preview shows or something like that. <laughs> so the two defensive coordinators at the big two Oklahoma schools were, were on staff in that <laughs> the last uh, Vanderbilt team that Derek Mason was the head coach on in 2020 that I think like went winless in the, in the SEC, like went 0-10 or whatever it was. Uh, Derek Mason was the head coach and Ted Roof was his defensive coordinator, I believe. And those are the two guys that were the defensive coordinators for Oklahoma teams this season, and both defenses were not good. I, I don't know. I mean, is it a coincidence? I, I don't know, man. They both have a lot of, uh, a lot of seasons on their resumes. So Yeah, I, I think that's, that's going to be something to watch closely in this offseason, early offseason here, so like especially kind of in that, in that time right after the national championship game when everything is, is sort of done there. Do they do they move on from Ted Roof and do they find a replacement for LaDamian Washington? If they don't do either of those things, honestly add that to the red flag pool. I don't think Ted Roof's gonna go anywhere, but the LaDamian Washington thing I, I think is pretty obviously the one that has a, a good chance to get get remedied. But yeah, I don't think he's gonna fire Ted Roof. 
I just I I I, I think you're probably right. I I think he's definitely married to this concept of he's here to kind of to to install my defense and be someone that I can trust to have like my voice in that room or whatever. Um, too cute by half. Get a really talented, energetic guy in there who has good ideas. But hey, you know you know what though. I may be totally out to lunch on that, Grant, because as I look back at Ted Roof's resume, which we all became pretty uh, pretty well aware of when he got hired, I it would actually go against the grain if Ted Roof doesn't either get fired or walk away because uh, the, la- <laughs> the last uh, five seasons, he's uh, been one and done wherever he's been. <laughs> Ever since 2018, he's, uh, he's had a job at a place, and then the next year he's had another job. 2018 at, at NC State, 2019 at App State, 2020 at Vanderbilt, 2021 as an analyst at Clemson, and then this past year at Oklahoma. That is just <laughs> – the last time he had uh, like a decent tenure somewhere was from 2013 to 2017. He was Georgia Tech's defensive coordinator. Something tells me, though, that uh, Brent Venables is going to go ahead and hold on to Ted for at least another season. He's got to have that guy to, uh, you know, things start going south in 2023. He's got to have that, that uh, what's the, the, what's the, the old cliche, the, oh man, like whenever you, you fall get guy. rid of somebody, the fall guy, fall guy, that works. Yeah. I was thinking, isn't there a, a saying like, uh, no, nah, I'll think of it. Who cares? Um, all right. So more from Twitter. Lou says time to panic. <laughs> Interesting. Why? Why after that game is, is when you're, Choosing to panic. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because they finished under 500, I guess, maybe. Uh, uh, Patrick says, getting more physical. Did it seem like the team was more physical to you in that game, Grant? Not really, I no. Know. I mean, I mean to, it looked kind of the same to me. I mean, it got kind of mentality. I mean, they ran it like 60 times. True. Tried to tried to kind of do the, the uh, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust thing. John says defense is rough. Uh, Ann says on Twitter, FSU two flags. I think technically they had three, but point taken, Ann. Not very many penalties. Caleb only needs two words. Caleb says moral victory? Question mark. No, I mean, I'm not about moral victories. I, I don't. No, I, I don't think we should consider this a moral victory. Moral victories are for losers. I just just Agreed. be consistent. Be consistent. You can't. Yeah, don't don't talk about how he's going to get blown out, and then they don't, and then they play Florida State even, and then talk about how everything is terrible and how you saw this coming the entire way. Just don't do that. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a really important point you bring up. That there's a little bit of nuance in the say way that as Deuce Vaughn just goes ninety yards for a for a TD. Really. Oh my gosh! Get out of here! With this. You got Alabama. Yeah, there you go. Eighty-eight yards. You got Alabama experiencing the joys of Deuce Vaughn now. Wow! Gosh, I hope he leaves. I hope he goes to the NFL. He's not going to. He's coming back next year to haunt everyone's dreams. <laughs> uh, Greg says one possession losses. Yep. Uh, Michael goes FSU zero holds. Is it really possible that FSU didn't hold one guy all night? <laughs> Probably not. Almost done here on the on uh, at Lee Benson News Nine. Jacob says future is bright. Some more positivity. Gabe says relax. We good. 
I kind of like the I like the, the chillness of that. Uh, let's see, Charlie Sooner. Uh, Charlie Sooner is not having it, Grant. He says, I don't need your game or season review. All right, well, we know at least one guy's not going to listen to the podcast. That's totally cool. <laughs> and, you know, this is a great way to end the, the, the show, the, the season, with Robert's three-word review, Grant. Robert says, Texas still sucks. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that was, at least Texas did lose. And that's always a good thing. I it, it does warm my heart a little bit that this was probably Texas's best team since they since the since they last won the Big Twelve in two thousand and nine and they still went eight and five. Hysterically funny. They underperformed expectation. Their their season win total was eight and a half. They were under. So, I mean, as bad as things were for OU this year, I mean, that certainly came up a lot more short than Texas. It's still, I mean, Texas still did not did not exceed expectations it's just yeah that's just the way it is so all right so grant now the season's over uh, we got the off season coming up i there's definitely some topics that we'll be able to hit on uh as the off season continues before spring ball and whatnot but this is normally whenever our our shows kind of dry up because there's not much to talk about i will say before the podcast i decided that like, okay let's let's save this for later I was going through, and I want to look up all of the first-year head coaches in college football this past season, and I want to see how each of them did in terms of win total, who exceeded expectations and who underperformed, and see where Brent Venables fits in. I think that could be an interesting topic to go through for one of our shows, or at least a part of one of our shows. And then also, another show that we've never done before, we're going to we're going to give it a shot. I briefly mentioned this to you off the air last week or two weeks ago. Friend of mine, friend of yours too, but an old, old friend of mine from OU, uh, he, he's a guy that he should be on the radio or TV or do podcasting. I went up with him through OU in, you know, in journalism, broadcast, electronic media. He's got the chops. He's really good. He did a little bit of uh, – right out of college, he did some – some play-by-play work with some minor league hockey teams, but then kind of life took over and he went a different direction and you know, that, you know, that works out. So anyways, <laughs> he, he would like to come on the show and let us know his predictions for new head coaching hires in college football and whether they're going to be a home run or a failure. And he might have some thoughts on some previous coaches that he's made calls on. He's very, very serious about this. And I think it could be a pretty fun episode of the podcast if we do it the right way. So that could be a special edition of West of Everest coming up at some point uh, when all the coaching hires and fires have taken place. It might not just be college football. Maybe he'll want to do some NFL too. I don't know. So if that sounds like something that you're intrigued by out there listening, that we're planning on having that come up if we can get the logistics correct. So I'm not so sure where you stand on that, but I think it could be kind of a funny, fun show. And I definitely know he's got some thoughts on uh, Oklahoma's current head coach as well. Ah, uh, you know, I'm all, I'm all open for ideas. It's going to be kind of an interesting, interesting <laughs> off season for sure. I think I'm, you know, I think we're all assuming probably a much quieter off season than the than last year. But uh, there's going to be some stuff to talk about. They're gonna they're gonna kind of close up the portal here at the end of January at some point in time. Uh, Trace Ford is a sooner now. We didn't we didn't mention oh, that. Oh yeah. Um, he committed to OU. I think early this week, earlier this week. I can't remember when that was. Uh, but uh, like I said, I'm mostly excited about that because they defeated USC head to head and that recruitment and screw those guys. So, uh, yeah, 
Trace Ford coming in, along with Desan McCullough, Reggie Pearson at Texas Tech, and uh, Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame. Let's hope there's some talent there that's uh, that's being injected onto the defense. Yeah, man. I, hopefully, he, I mean, hopefully he and Austin Sogner are 100% healthy and they can be contributors. Because if that's the case, that's those are two players that can help the team next year. It's just post-injury players, you never know. Especially lower body stuff. You just never know. Let's see. Anything else worth mentioning? Another marathon podcast here, I know. Any, well, any bowl game thoughts that you want to bring up? Uh, not really. You know, I don't. I haven't really been too locked in in the on the bowl season this year. Uh, Lee, before because we probably won't uh, record, bef- you know, again before this happens, who's going to win the national title? Ooh, uh, I'll be boring. I'll just say Georgia, even though I do kind of think Michigan might have a shot. I am uh, so I, I think Georgia's probably going to win it pretty easily. Um, I you know I I just think they are by far the best team they have the best players especially on defense um the kind of what i'm interested to see is can ohio state can they you know can they mount enough of kind of momentum and a rally there to complete some explosive forward passes against georgia um that's going to be interesting to see uh but then i'm just, I'm just kind of interested to see how tcu holds up against michigan in the, in the trenches because if you look at their roster side by side you go by recruiting rankings those are two similarly talented rosters uh, not not huge. Uh, it, it's not a massive um, advantage for Michigan in that regard. So that's going to be kind of an interesting thing to check out. Um, but yeah, I you know I'm kind of hoping for chaos. I would love there to be a Michigan Ohio State rematch in the national title, just because I think that would actually be miserable for both of those fan bases. I think that would be their. <laughs> I think they would be just absolutely miserable for the the ten days leading up to that. And can you imagine being a Michigan fan and being in that position? Yeah, knowing that you already beat them and you kind of, I mean, you kind of ran them at the end of that game. Kind of ran them. You beat them by three scores and you got to beat them again just to win the national title. And yeah. you know that you're not going to. <laughs> uh, I mean, but so I, this will be a, a pretty good test grant of your theory of Ryan Day because you've talked about how he's kind of like Lincoln Riley. And the way he runs the program and the way his teams are, right? I mean, like, and that's, yeah, we're going to see that. Correct, if, they're, they're not going to get past Georgia anyways. Yeah, if, if Georgia comes out and just punches Ohio State in the mouth, I think you can start, I think you can start kind of writing the, the obituary on Ryan Day at Ohio State. Not that they're ever going to be, like, bad or anything like that, but he's just going to fit right into the stereotype of guys that come from his coaching tree. That being said, this would have been a lot better bet probably a week ago because the line's starting to steam down. There's some money coming in on, on Ohio State, Grant. I think it, it opened at, what, six and a half, six and a half, seven Georgia. Uh, now it's down to Ohio State uh, catching only f- uh, four and a half. So there's some money coming in on the Buckeyes. I, I get that. Yeah. Ohio State has the number one trump card in college football. They have a quarterback who can make all the throws, and they have multiple NFL receivers. So what I was going to say, though, and this would have been a better bet whenever there was a little more points involved, uh, not necessarily the full game, but uh, you know, if you're Ryan Day, kind of Lincoln-Riley kind of comparison is, is kind of close or accurate, Ohio State in the first half might be a great bet because you come out, like remember Oklahoma, first half against Georgia five years ago, I mean, dominate that, the game. 
I think that was just yep. more. That was just a really good OU team. I I would say it's more Lincoln Riley for OU just to get absolutely manhandled in the first half. Yeah, because that was the case against Bama. Uh, that LSU. was the case against LSU. Yeah. Okay. In those playoff games, because they're going to come out. Because I I mean Georgia's plan in that game is going to come out and to try to assert physical dominance. Although the uh, the the I guess what would give me some pause and think that maybe it's a good play for Ohio State first half is that Ohio State for the most part was playing Michigan like they weren't dominating Michigan in the first half but Michigan wasn't doing anything in that game and then as the game progressed Michigan finally was able to well really it was big plays Michigan hit like four or five just massive explosive plays and and that was the game like uh, but in between that though Ohio State's defense played well but that was like the Jim Knowles you know everything or nothing type defense in that one so yeah, I, but so anyways, I might I might think about that first half. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go I'll, I'll I'll go Georgia with the thought of like maybe because Michigan's been a lot better all of a sudden than I thought they would be, and Jim Harbaugh may have kind of figured it out a little bit. So who I mean, man, Michigan versus Georgia in the title game. I mean that doesn't that kind of seem boring? Or is that oh yeah I don't know yeah that'd be yeah that's that's very likely what's gonna happen, and that's. I mean that just screams like thirty-four to ten Georgia. Yeah, probably does. Okay. I mean, honestly, well, the game would probably ha- would probably go a lot like last year's semifinal went. I'd guess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's right there. Because like it's kind Jeez. of Georgia's theme this season has been when they're engaged and they care, they're basically the same team as they were last year. Gotcha. All right, so you're on Georgia, and I'm on Georgia as well. So we're going chalk for the national championship. Uh, stay tuned to the West Rivers Facebook page uh, for updates on our next episode, whenever that will be. Uh, until next time, have a happy new year, everyone. I'm. <laughs> let me start. Let me try that again. Until next time, have a happy new year, everybody. For Grant, I am Lee. <laughs> this is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.